The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley's going to be on the show today. We'll preview and pick the two championship games. That'll start in the next segment of the show. I've got a smell test at the end of the show. And also, at the end of the show today, I'm going to play for you a short excerpt of one of my favorite interviews that I've done, certainly in recent years. It was with Billy Packer, the legendary college basketball analyst. He passed away last night at the age of 82 years old. I had Billy on the podcast shortly before the 2021 Final Four, so nearly two years ago. It was great. He was incredible. Great memory, great storytelling, stories I had never heard. I think stories that you know a lot of people that follow college basketball and even follow Billy Packer had never heard. I mean, it was one of those deals where I called him and I said, because I had had him on the radio show before, and I said, will you come on with me? He said, sure. And my plan was to talk Final Four games with him, but he wasn't even really paying attention to college basketball. So it turned into, I don't know, it seemed, I think it was like an hour and a half almost. It was certainly over an hour of basically – you know, a podcast about Billy Packer um, and him telling stories about his broadcasting career primarily. Um, It was really one of my favorites. So you're going to hear a short part of that at the end of this podcast. Um, And I'm thinking that I might put out the entire interview uh, as a separate podcast tomorrow. Because some of you reached out to me uh, after you heard that he had passed and said, I loved that interview that you did with him a few years ago. And I did too. So um, I'll put out I'll put out tomorrow that interview is just a separate podcast. And, you know, if you're not a college basketball fan or you're not a Billy Packer fan, you don't have to listen to it. But I think even if you're not a college basketball fan, but you paid attention to it and you knew who Billy Packer was, I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. Um, anyway, uh, to football we go. Um, no new OC uh, as of now, as of the recording of this podcast. Um, Washington interviewed Pat Shermer for the job. They've interviewed Ken Zampezi, Charles London, Eric Studsville or Studsville, however you pronounce his name, Thomas Brown, They've interviewed for the job. Um, They requested an interview with Anthony Lynn, who was coaching for the 49ers on Sunday in Philadelphia. Um, The reason I'm bringing this up 
because as of now, as of the recording of this podcast, there isn't any new news. Uh, I'm checking Twitter right now just to make sure there's no new news on that. Um, But the reason I'm bringing it up is because just uh, as I got ready to record this podcast, um, it was reported that Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's younger brother, was just hired by Sean McVay to be the new offensive coordinator in Los Angeles for the Rams. Uh, LaFleur, Mike, was fired by the Jets recently, and Sean McVay has gone outside the organization for his next offensive coordinator. And the reason I bring it up is because Thomas Brown, who Washington interviewed, who is assistant head coach and running backs coach for the Rams, I'm wondering why, if he was an offensive candidate here, why he wasn't an offensive candidate in Los Angeles where he's been coaching for Sean McVay. Maybe he was, but they decided to go outside the organization for the hire. Look, I don't know that Washington's going to hire Thomas Brown. I've heard really good things about him, about how bright he is and about how he's going to be an offensive coordinator. But I guess that just sort of tells you the state of the, you know, the chase right now for a new offensive coordinator is Probably not a lot of people interested. Um, You know, the state of the organization with respect to the sale and even Ron Rivera's status certainly um, is tough for top candidates to overlook. And so maybe Washington, you know, by interviewing Thomas Brown, maybe Brown's a guy that isn't ready to be an OC yet in Sean McVay's eyes. But that's kind of what Washington is relegated to right now. Again, I've heard great things about him. But I bring it up because McVeigh just hired Mike LaFleur from outside the organization who failed in New York with the Jets, but without a quarterback. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, now the offensive coordinator in New York, and of course that's leading to all of the Aaron Rodgers uh, speculation. By the way, I had Mike Jones on the podcast, on the radio show, excuse me, this morning. Mike Jones, former you know beat reporter for the Post, covering the Skins, and then he was at USA Today for a few years, and now. He's at The Athletic, and he wasn't as um, convinced that the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett means that Aaron Rodgers is headed there. He, he guessed what I guessed and continue to guessed, uh, c- continue to guess, excuse me, and that is that Aaron Rodgers is going to remain in Green Bay. All right, let's, uh, let's get to Cooley um, and preview these championship games. Actually, let me just read one quick tweet um, from Jeff because I went and looked it up uh, just a little while ago. Jeff tweeted me, and you can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. What are the compensatory picks Washington's getting back for Brandon Sheriff and Tim Settle? I actually didn't know the answer to this, and so maybe I'm providing some service here with some information, but I bet many of you knew the answer. But they're getting a third-rounder back for Sheriff, and they're getting a sixth-rounder back for Settle. So they now have a first, second. They didn't have a third because, remember, that went to Indy as part of the Wentz trade. Now they have a end-of-third-round compensatory pick. They've got a fourth, a fifth, two sixes, and a seven. That's the allotment of draft choices for your Washington commanders in the 2023 draft. Um, anyway, uh, I was going to read an email about Will Misselbrook's LinkedIn profile that Sean sent me. 
Sean sent me Will Misselbrook. Remember, he just left the organization. He's the guy that had the quote about, you know, they needed to come up with a name that tied into fashion and food and pop culture and music and that whole thing. And, you know, I said earlier this week, it just felt kind of like the last two years, like it was another hit and run. Like somebody from the outside came in, made significant decisions about the organization and then was gone. You know, they're not all gone, but a lot of them are gone. Jason Wright's still there. But Sean sent me a link to his LinkedIn profile, and he highlighted this one sentence. The sentence read, Will oversaw and led the most successful team rebrand ever in NFL history. I mean, I'm not going to pick on his you know, resume or his LinkedIn profile, but I will just say that, first of all, has there ever been a rebrand? I mean, isn't in our lifetime Washington the first rebrand of a team in the same city? So there's only been one. You know, the Ravens were a new organization. The Titans, you know, took a new name but in a new city. The Texans didn't have the Oilers to choose from. I don't think they did. This is like the only rebrand, right? I don't know. And it was hardly successful. I don't really know anybody in my life, in my circle of family and friends. And I'm talking about the people that were truly, at one point, passionate about the team that is thrilled with the new name or the new off-colored uniforms. I don't, anyway. I don't know. It just it, it, it makes me think of what I've been saying for years now. They haven't had enough people in the organization that know the organization. And in the last two years, the people that they brought in have had better resumes. They've been smarter, brighter. And with their spreadsheets and their whiteboards and their buzzwords, they came up with the new name and the new brand. And now most of them will be gone and we're stuck with it. And it just feels kind of hit and runnish, you know? And I, I just wish that all along there was more of an emphasis on putting people into the organization to make these decisions that had burgundy and gold running through their veins that knew that the crest shouldn't be 83, 88, and 92, but the Super Bowl seasons were 82, 87, and 91. You know, that know that on Monday it's the 40-year anniversary of the biggest play and the most important play in franchise history. Fourth and one, Rigo touchdown, Super Bowl 17. I, I, whatever, I'm not going to get worked up over this, okay? Uh, thanks, Sean, for the email. Cooley's up next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Cooley's with me uh, here on this last football Friday, really, of the year. I mean, Super Bowl weekend will have a football show on Friday, but we've got two games, two championship games on Sunday, San Francisco at Philadelphia at three, followed by the Chiefs and the Bengals in the nightcap. Um, the Right now, it looks like Pat Mahomes is good to go. Um, he's been cleared. You know, I was going to ask you just on high ankle sprains, that that typically to me, whether it's a professional athlete or a weekend warrior basketball player, that's a multi-week recovery. Do you agree or disagree? I would agree with you. I've never had a high ankle sprain. I broke my ankle, and I, the the thing I've always heard is a lot of times it's better to break it than yeah. to have the high ankle sprain because the high ankle sprain stays with you for so long. Right. So I I mean. They're clearly, they clearly went in and MRI'd it. And there's no ligament damage. And you manage that with unbelievable treatment through the, throughout the week where he's going in to the training room most of the day and ice and elevation and compression and whatever machines they have in there. And they're just running stuff on him the entire time. And I, but I, I, even at that, it's, it's insane. The, the toughness of, of Mahomes, I love, especially sometimes for a guy that when you hear him, you're like, is he a tough dude or not? Man, he'll play through it. And, like, he was out running in practice and looked good, what, on Thursday, yesterday. Yeah, I mean. So, I I don't know. I mean, it looked bad, It, but maybe it wasn't as bad as it was in the game. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as bad as it looked or as bad as he made it play out to look. I I think it's interesting because I, I, it would limit anybody else, but somehow his ability to throw it from so many different ways it seems to not limit him. I, it's an it's an interesting deal where yeah. he's at. I, yeah. I don't I don't trust where he's at. Um, I I don't really, and at the same time, and you know, I think this way, and I've even gotten you to think this way over the years. Everybody thinks Cincinnati's going to win this game on Sunday. Everybody does. I mean, this is an overwhelming public play. This is an overwhelming, you know, uh, pro, you know, analyst play. You know, Cincinnati's got the Chiefs' number, and now, you know, is Mahomes going to be completely healthy, et cetera, et cetera. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, I, I was. Um, I do want to talk to you about last weekend's games a little bit, and then we'll talk about the two games on Sunday. But I, I had um, Stephen Spector was a producer. I don't know if you remember Stephen when he was at the station. He may have left by the time you got to the station. Um, but he was a producer at 980 for a few years, and he's been in Kansas City now for like eight or nine years, ten years, something like, something like that, um, as the sports director at a station out there. He was always a Chiefs fan, so he moved to Kansas City, and he does sports talk radio out there. And I had him on the show, and I said, you know, for as great as Patrick Mahomes is, because I think we could we can definitely say that if he never took another snap, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's had the quickest Hall of Fame career of any player that I can think of personally. Um, and yet, if he loses to the Bengals on Sunday, and let's just say he's relatively healthy and looks like Mahomes, that'll be three AFC championship losses at home, two in back-to-back years to the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And I think that 
the view of Patrick Mahomes will start to change a little bit. What do you think? It shouldn't start to change. He's one of the best players at the position that I think I've ever seen. He's changed the position and changed the way. It's almost like Steph Curry of quarterbacks, where Steph Curry in the three-point line really changed young kids and, and bigger kids and like the way he throws it and the way he moves and his ability to do different things with the football is, is changing how you teach a young quarterback. We might have talked about this, but I, I'm watching Mahomes is the way I would have always thought to play quarterback. It's the way you run around and play in the schoolyard. I, I'll never forget that Logan High School as a freshman, and I wanted to be the quarterback. And I was a quarterback always growing up. And my coach was saying, no, here's how you throw the ball. You push it, you hold it high, push it back over your <laughs> shoulder, and you deliver this high, high motion and the follow through and like, well, yeah, that's fine. But like, I can throw it the same spot. However I want. Now that's not how we play quarterback. And it's just that whole mentality of <laughs> Mahomes can show you. There's, there's a ton of different ways to do it. Uh, he's also, he's also brilliant week in and week out. If you're watching the chiefs week in and week out, you're watching the guy make crazy plays every, every game. So I don't think we should feel that way. I, I think this is another year as well where you're going, okay, there's a ton of evolution on offense. Yeah, he still has Kelsey, but all of a sudden you got Tooney and you got Juju Smith-Schuster instead of Tree Kill, and you had a different group. And they've never been dynamic on defense, even though I like Spags and their D coordinator, Spagnola. I think he does a really good job, and I think he'll do a good job this week against the Bengals. But no, I, I can't. I don't see Mahomes any different if he loses again, it's not like he becomes Jim Kelly to me. You know, he's, uh, here's how he's I think here, he's an unbelievable player. He wins them games. I agree with you. Here's what I would say would be much more of the conversation on Monday if he loses to Cincinnati than it was a year ago. A year ago, it was okay. It's Mahomes, and then after Mahomes, it's like who would you take, Burrow, Allen, or Herbert? And now the conversation might be Monday if he loses another AFC championship game. So who do you take? Do you take Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow, or Allen? And I'm talking about like the AFC superstar quarterbacks. Like now he's in that bunch of players versus elevated. And I'll tell you, I'll mention one other thing. If he hadn't won that Super Bowl against San Francisco – and he had been to one and lost these AFC championship games, the view would already be different on him. Because quarterbacks, and I think it's wrong personally, because I think Dan Marino is on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever watched. He only went to one and lost it. But the view of, of Mahomes without that one Super Bowl win would be a hell of a lot different, even though what we watch every Sunday and have been watching is greatness at a level that you know very few have ever matched. By the way, there, the same can be said about Aaron Rodgers. Thank God he got that one Super Bowl because people would talk about him much differently, even though he's one of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever watched. I, I think you're exactly right. But it, it's still, in as many years, if he were to lose, it's, it is three AFC championship games. All at home. Oh, I know, but they're, 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 you're right. But it's Your not point. Like, it's yeah, not, they're championship they're, games. There's a lot yeah. of Rodgers where yeah. they're not for the championship games. Right. It's, like, it's still, we're still losing in three AFC championship games. Right. We're not talking about 500 seasons here. And, and 
what are, what were those season <laughs> records those, those three years like <laughs> yeah. 13 and 4 yeah well i mean Aaron, you, you know yeah it's we're I, I do think you make a really good point, though, as you start to say, okay, is it Burrow? Is it – I don't think it's Herbert in that conversation. Is it Burrow? Is it Allen? Is it Jalen Hurts now in that conversation? Who you know, who do we take right now at one? Because if Hurts were to take the Eagles to the Super Bowl, that's going to be a conversation. No. No, no. It's, it's too early. It's way too early. This is his first well, – uh, look, I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan. I'm the one that thought that he was early, but it, but he's not it in that fast. It's it, it, not not that fast. I mean, okay, okay, you're right. You're right. Burrow had to take that team to the Super Bowl last year, and he's back, and now it's Burrow in the conversation. Yeah, but Burrow's so different. Do it again one one more year. Burrow's different. Why is Burrow different? Because he plays the position in a in a, in a more traditional sense and is a better thrower. Look, I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. I'm the one that last year when people are saying, well, they don't have a quarterback. I'm like, I think Jalen Hurts can be the guy, and I think he's going to take a big step, and I think Philadelphia is going to be really good. But beside, but but I would not make – I would not stretch it to say that he is at this point, and even if they go on and win the Super Bowl, one of the four or five elite quarterbacks in the game. I would still take Patrick Mahomes, Herbert, uh, Burrow, Josh Allen, yes, and people are down on him after last weekend. I do want to get your thoughts on that. Um, uh, you know, Rodgers, still Rodgers for me, um, over Jalen Hurts. Hurts has moved into the top 10 conversation, but I don't think that he would be in that conversation even if he wins a Super Bowl. Unless he, uh, uh, you know what? Well, let's see how, how he plays. I think he was great last week, and I think he's a really good quarterback and getting better, and maybe I'll feel differently in three weeks. But no, Mahomes and Allen and Burrow are at a different level, I think. I think Trevor Lawrence has a chance to be at a different level. That's awesome, but you, you can't sit here and tell me that you're going to take Trevor Lawrence over Jalen Hurts because it's the same thing. They're both in that one year. Who would you take over? And, who, and wait the, wait the, now the, for your organization. Like, who who would you take, Lawrence or Hurts? Hurts. Really? Mm-hmm. I think Hurts is a – I don't want to be down on Lawrence. I just, I've just i heard so many things, and I've heard from, like, what, what a leader he is, yeah. the way he works. Yes. I, and when you say he's – Somebody else is a, plays that position differently. Hurts has – I see the ability for Hurts to play that position in the way that a lot of quarterbacks play that position. I don't see the necessity to have run element as the only way he becomes a, a good passing quarterback. I do see that still in Lamar Jackson. A guy like Lamar Jackson, I see the, the run necessity to continue to be a very good quarterback. I, even in the four years, I, I haven't seen enough that he can just sit back in the pocket and throw the ball consistently. I, I, I see enough in, out of Hurts where, and I know he's going to scramble, and I know he's going to move around, but I've seen enough out of Hurts. And, and here's the, but the argument is, is like, well, he's got AJ Brown, and he's got Devonte Smith, and he's got Goddard, I, the, the tight end who Goddard is Dallas Goddard out of what was he South Dakota State, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's like you say, Burrow. Burrow's got T Higgins and Hayden Hurst and Jamar Chase and. Joe Mixon's coming Tyler, in. Tyler Boyd. There's a great group surrounding <laughs> yeah. him. And, and Boyd, like, there's a great group surrounding him. And the, the couple guys this year, and it, it becomes that sometimes when you pay them too, like Josh Allen does have Stephon Diggs, and, and I like Beasley and the other dude who dropped the ball late. 
Oh, what's, I forget his name every time. Who, Gabe Davis? Who, uh, it's with a G. Davis, Gabe, yeah, Gabe, yeah, Gabe Davis. Davis yeah. yeah, I mean, Gabe Davis is, is a good player, but is he a good player somewhere else without a great quarterback? You know, and Mahomes has Kelsey, and I swear to you, out of the entire group of receivers that I've listed, I'd still draft Kelsey number one before anyone. He's unfreaking believable. Yeah, Tommy and I had that conversation the other day. Like I, I said, because I, Tommy's like been this tight end historian. Like he wrote a book about John Mackey, and I and I, I said I think we can start to talk about Kelsey uh, as you know in the in the conversation of the greatest of uh, of all time. Um, in he's got years left, but he's tracking towards that. But but hold on, I want I want to stick with the conversation about Jalen Hurts. Because you put Hertz into a conversation that I wasn't prepared for you to put him into that conversation, I'm very surprised. Well, actually, I don't think I don't think we need to have that though no, until he no no I, win a no. Here's the thing, I I really like Jalen Hurts. I I mean I've again I think that he has a chance to be a great quarterback. I don't know that he's a great quarterback now. He's much better than he was last year, and I thought he was getting better last year. But, you know, the playoff game against Tampa last year was a disaster for him. And the, and the thing that he couldn't do last year that you could see that he had improved upon much more so this year is third and ten, got to make a throw from the pocket. Now he can do that. I still don't think he does that at the level of the quarterbacks that we were talking about. But I'm not suggesting that he can't get to that level. I think Hurts is special. He also got. He's also not playing, you know, at a hundred percent health right now. But I think Hertz is going to always have. Which, by the way, you can say the same thing about Allen and Mahomes. You don't really say that about Burrow as much, but you certainly say that about Allen and Mahomes. Is always going to have, um, and not that he would require it, but. It's going to be great to have that ability to make a play with your legs on third and, you know, in the case of Mahomes, it seems like it's always like third and 14 and like he runs for like 14 and a half yards, you know, and sticks the ball out and it's a first down. And and Hertz has that ability too. Um, but I don't know, whatever. I mean, I love. Well, the funny, I mean, that, that's also funny because how many times did, did Burrow run against the Bills last weekend? Yeah, true. But then, I mean, it's not, it's not, and it's not just that ability with, with Mahomes. To get a third and fourteen by taking off and running the ball, which he can do, it's it's, it's a, also his Russell Wilson like ability to extend a exactly. play by running, yes, yes, and and then make a throw while on the run. Right. So there's a lot of that too. Yeah, um, you know, after last weekend, I thought it was interesting how people just said, "Okay, well, the conversation is now, you know, just about." Mahomes and Burrow. Josh Allen's no longer in that conversation. And I pushed back on that. I just, I said, no, I don't see that at all. I, I still see Josh Allen as equally as talented as Burrow. You know, if we're talking about after Mahomes, um, I, you know, I think he's made some mistakes and he's turned the ball over, but I still see Allen as great. Um, and I think a lot of people saw Burrow pass Allen in that conversation last week. What do you think? Uh, Burrow clearly outplayed Allen in one game. His team did, I, I too. It's, it's interesting because when you look at Burrow and Allen, Allen's going to turn the ball over. And by the way, so does Mahomes. The Chiefs turn the ball over a lot this yep, year. right. But when you look at, really, to me, when I look at Allen and I look at Burrow, Burrow's going to take 20 more sacks on the year, not turning the ball over, which is probably the way to go. And Allen's going to turn the ball over. Yeah, but Burrow takes a lot of sacks. 
What do you? I mean, you're you've been a big Josh Allen fan going back to Wyoming. You said this guy, forget the accuracy issues. That's not going to be an issue at the pro level. He's going to be great. Um, I think his reputation, and it's so crazy because they're still so early in their careers. But it took a little bit of a hit because not only did they lose, they got their ass kicked last week. I mean, that was a that was a beatdown. Yeah, no, they got their ass kicked. But uh, I mean, the Bengals also scored on almost every single possession that they had the ball. They, I, they, I know they ran the ball at will, like six, seven, eight yards a pop. Every throw they needed to make, they made. They played huge. That offense was was terrific, and so. And yeah, Allen didn't answer. You're right. It, and the Bills normally do have that ability and play into a lot of shootouts because Allen does have that answer. He didn't this week. But it wasn't like the Bills lost a 10-3 to game and Allen had a chance to go just dominate the game or find ways. Their defense, the Bills' defense was terrible. It was terrible. the Bengals. Yeah. But you, I mean, you you said another thing you said is really interesting. Is man, the narrative really changes on Patrick Mahomes if he didn't win that Super Bowl, and that's sort of the narrative that's coming out on Allen is is he Jim Kelly? Are they going to get close every year? Well, Kelly, he not Kelly got yeah, Kelly got to four. He got to four. I know, but you yeah. get the book. I mean, he didn't win a Super Bowl. Right. Is Allen going to win a Super Bowl for them? And it does change a lot on a dude. When he, when he wins that Super Bowl, it's it's also hard. It's like everyone wants these. Everyone wants Michael Jordan. It's, just, it's really hard to just take your team and, and win six championships. Yeah, of course. Um, I don't know why you say Jordan, Jordan instead of Brady, um, but yeah, well, oh, Brady. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, but because Brady, Brady's also Belichick and yeah, Patriots and. I just I look, I think personally the conversation about this is year 2 of Cincinnati Kansas City in the AFC Championship game and after last week the thought and I'm not saying everybody has this thought that this is what we're going to see for the next, you know, 5 to to 8 years it's going to be Burrow against Mahomes. I think Allen's going to be very much in the mix. I think that was a bad day for Buffalo last week. Uh, it was the most disappointing performance of the weekend. I was shocked by it. I, I, they, they were manhandled at the line of scrimmage. They just didn't look like themselves. Um, and look, everything that they had going on in that season with DeMar Hamlin, obviously at the end, but you know, having to move a home game because of a six-foot blizzard. and you know, They just had a lot of shit going on, and I think it just finally caught up to them. I'm not saying Cincinnati wasn't yeah. the better team. Um, if they had played 10 times, Cincinnati wouldn't win you know, six of them, but I don't think Cincinnati would win eight of them. I, I just think it was a bad day for Buffalo. Yeah, I think it was a bad day. And you know what else? I think it. I think it hurts. It's. It, I think they had this idea that they were going to get a lot of pressure on Burrow and a game plan where they could get a lot of pressure with four man rushes. And then you start to get that snow and it's slick, and those edge rushers can't turn the corner, and you can't get the pressure you want, even with three backup offensive linemen, gosh, I just can't turn the corner here. And Burrow had way more time to move and throw the ball than I think the Bills expected him to have, and they went in with a game plan that didn't work. Uh, you know, I want to just I want to get to these two games on Sunday, but I haven't talked to you on the podcast. What did you make of the Cowboy performance against San Francisco and Prescott in particular? It's just that Dak's not there. 
I just he can't turn the ball over. He continues to turn the ball over. I don't think that he can make the big play. I think it hurt him when Pollard was out, but I just don't see it with Dak. I, I've never seen it with Dak. And I, when I say that, it's so hard to say that without saying I think he's – I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I just don't think he's an elite quarterback. Yeah. And and for a guy like Dak, you need – more than CeeDee Lamb. <clears throat> so, I, I don't, and San Francisco's a really good defense. They are. And, I mean, one of the picks he threw into a real tight space, and it was the one Warner picked up, right? Warner picked it up on a, on a pop-up. Yeah. Like, yeah, you forced a throw in there, but, like, one-on-one, that's, that ball's just going to fall to the ground. It's not, it's not like he truly misread coverage. It just it popped up in the air. I mean, the thing <laughs> – the thing about it is he could have thrown five picks in the game. I mean, he had two yeah, to three. He, terrible. he he was terrible in the game. He was absolutely terrible in the game, and he's the reason they lost that game. Do, you don't disagree with that, do you? I, I'm with you. No, I, to, I totally agree with that. Because that was a championship performance by their defense. I mean, they really made San Francisco work incredibly hard to score 19 points including giving them two turnovers in the game. Um, I, I, it's, it's funny, though. It doesn't scare me off of San Francisco the way they played on offense. Uh, okay, but, yeah, except yeah, I, they are playing another you know, you know great I mean? pass rush. They're playing another great pass rush Sunday. Yeah, they're going to play another great pass rush, but they're going to play a team that I don't think has the ability to play the same run-type defense as, as Dallas does. Hmm. And it'll be interesting how they how they. Dude, we talked a lot about running the ball on the Eagles all year. It was I, I feel like one of our points of emphasis. It's what Washington did. Podcast. Yeah, Washington did it. Right. It's, it's what Washington did. It'll be really interesting what the Eagles' plan is and what the what Kyle goes in with. Like, does he go in with a lot of eleven personnel where you're going to get the Eagles and what they play is a three three front defense? Do they stay with a three three front defense, or do they bring that fourth element in and play more of a three four? Four three. How do they manage that against against the Forty ers who who are going to try to come out and run the ball? I mean, they're gonna, like, absolutely they're going to try to run the ball and, and control the clock. And it's not like they're they know they have a good defense, but still, Jalen Hurts changes things. He, he makes plays that you don't game plan against. Like, God damn it! I mean, we had a perfect perfect scheme for this, perfect everything. Now the quarterback's out for eighteen. Like that is hard. I want to. Uh, we'll continue on San Francisco, Philadelphia, in in a couple of minutes. Just one more on Dallas. What do they do? Like if Dak's not the guy, and they have so much invested in that position, and by the way, they can't move on from him. I mean, he's there, and it looks like they're going to keep McCarthy because Dan Quinn just committed to staying instead of interviewing for other jobs. There, you know, Kellen Moore may go, and they fired like three or four other assistants, I think, this week. But what is really like for a Cowboy fan, What what's the upside, especially in a division with Philadelphia? Well, okay, what do I do if I'm Dallas? Is I think more of a simple equation to me. First of all, you're a run-first team. Please, they've been a run-first team. And I hate saying this because I can't stand Dallas and I don't want them to win. But since Dak's been there, I think he's better as a run-first element type of team. I do, and I don't. What do they do with Ezekiel Elliott? Another question. Well, he's done. He's done. 
I think he's done. They, yeah. You can't bring him right, back. But you can't bring him back. But you continue to build, you get stronger at the tight end position. They need one more weapon on the outside. But then, honestly, you can't. It's so weird because you can't quit on Dak. I don't think he's. I don't. I don't dislike Dak. I think he's a leader. I think. I think the guys in that locker room like him. But it's almost like when you pay the guy that much and you're going to continue to move forward with him. You have to surround him with exactly what he needs. And is that McCarthy? Is that Kellen Moore? Is that what he wants? Does he feel like you're going to grow in the right path for him in that fashion? Are we going to build a run-first type team, in my opinion, is what Dallas should do. The defense is solid enough. They could play a lot more like San Francisco. They get so caught up, and I don't know if this is Moore or McCarthy, in throwing the ball 65% of the time, 70% of the time. Yeah. And it just does, it's not the fashion of play that I see Dak excelling the most in. Um, Dak, you know, signed the four-year, hundred and sixty million dollar deal. He's a forty. He's a fifty million dollar cap hit next year alone for the Cowboys. And really, the first year you can even think about getting out of this deal is maybe after twenty twenty-three. Maybe. And for Zeke, if you were wondering, if anybody's wondering, you know, he's basically now at the point where. You know, if you if you move on from them, you're you're saving um, money. It's like your dead cap number is 11 million, and your cap hits 16. So you're actually saving five million in cap space by moving on from him. But by, by the way, I haven't talked about him really at all uh, that much in the last few years. One of the biggest disappointments um, uh, for for the Cowboys in in a long, long time because after that rookie year and after that second year, I think it was, he really did look like he was going to be an elite running back for years to come. And it it basically his rookie year, I think if I have this right, I'm gonna pull it up right now, that may have been the highlight season. That was it. Yeah, 1,631 yards, 15 touchdowns as a rookie, rushed for 91 first downs, and he, you know, two years later, he, the next year he was injured, two years later, 1,400-plus yards, and he was 1,300-plus plus yards. And the last three, he's been, he's been, a, he's been a, an, an average to less than average running back. What do you have, what do you have in yards per carry this year? I know earlier. 3.8. His his rookie year Pollard? his rookie year was five point one yards per carry. And what was Pollard this year? Um, hold on. Uh, because I'm, I think I know Pollard was at least a yard more, if not a yard and a half more. And I think it's really telling him four point seven. There's an argument to me four point seven, and there's there's whatever argument oh, no, 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 you no, want to make. Is hold the, on, that's 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 playoff games. Um, Pollard five point two yards per carry in the regular right. season. And, and how many carries did they each have? Zeke had 231 attempts. Pollard had 193 attempts. Pollard ended up with 1,007 yards, and Zeke ended up with 876 yards. Uh, and so I think it's just really like you cannot really make that argument that Zeke the pound back, and that we're going we're gonna to be up the middle and cough up the gut with Zeke, and that, that Pollard's the edge back, so he gets the opportunities to get the more yards to play. I watched enough Dallas. They both run the ball. They both they both fit into some run scheme. It, it, it's not a dynamically different run scheme with, with both of them there. It's not fullback tailback. So it's behind the same offensive line and the same system. And t- Pollard's uh, more than a yard more per carry. That that clearly shows Zeke on a downline. As you re- as downline your- is not a word. 
as you were saying that, I was thinking about Gibson and Robinson Jr. because it's kind of the way for much of the season I felt about both of them. While everybody was saying they were completely different backs and Gibson can't do what Robinson does and Robinson doesn't do, I, I never felt like there was that much of a disparity. Like, I think if Gibson. I don't either. Yeah. Um, although Robinson really was impressive as the season went along, um, especially just the yards he got after contact. And the, and the way that... Well, and in fairness, it makes sense, too. I mean, he got shot in the leg before the season started. So <laughs> I, of course. I'm sure that it took some time to recover. Of course. But he did, he did get much better. Yeah. yeah. Um, real quickly, before we just preview and pick these two games, from last week, anything else, like in the Giant game, Giant-Eagle game, or the Jacksonville-Kansas uh, City game that, that you remember or you wanted to weigh in on? Because we've talked Bengals, Bills, and Cowboys 49ers. Yeah, I thought the Jags have an opportunity. I think the biggest thing that stands out from that game is that Mahomes goes out and the Chiefs go on a 99-yard drive with yeah, Mahomes with Henny. pacing the sidelines. And I think there's just such a credit to what Andy Reid's capable of doing and, and the way they run that offense and the enemy and, and some of those weapons. And the, the question would be is if Mahomes is hurt, the, this really goes to the next week. You know, can they game? Can the Bengals have a game plan where they go? We you we know you're not beating us over the top, so we are going to play your tighter underneath. And does that change things for the Chiefs? And if it does, and if you thought that as 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 the Chiefs, is it really Mahomes? It, it has to be. I know that it is. Like, but is that what you would really want to do? All right. Um, let's start with the NFC Championship game. I think that the key to the game, and you've already kind of talked about it, but I think it's Hurts 100% and his ability to really create yards with his legs. Because I went back and I looked at a lot of the the 49er games recently and actually one from earlier in the season. Marcus Mariota had a huge day when they beat the 49ers. Now, this was pre-McCaffrey, okay, and also pre-Brock Purdy. But they played a game very late in the season against the Raiders in Vegas that they nearly lost. They won 37-34 in overtime. And that was the first game that Jarrett Stidham played. And he really hurt them with his legs and extending plays. He made big mistakes. They lost the game. But I think the 49ers are the fastest defense and the best defense that I've watched all year long. But I think a mobile quarterback like Hurts has to make them pay for that speed and that aggressiveness. And I think he can, you know, as a scrambler. I'm not talking about as a designed runner. I'm talking about on some of the dropbacks, I see Hurts really having the ability to potentially hurt them, as he does everybody, with his legs. And that if he doesn't do that, Philly loses. If he has 50 yards, I'm just going to call it 50 randomly, yards of rushing or more, Philly wins. I like that. I think that you could also add in the off-script element, and I think that's where they can hurt San Francisco. So I think if you say you know something like 150 to 200 yards off-script, Philly wins, and that's including Hurts running, but that's also including him spinning out of Joey Bosa at the last second, stepping up, sliding to the right, then rolling to the right and throwing to the middle of the field to Devontae Smith for 45 yards because all of a sudden it's impossible to maintain that coverage on the back end of things. 
Right. I think the off-script element of him throwing the ball downfield is what hurts a really sound, physical, fast defense. Is Guys, you've you got to contain him back there because we can't cover Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown for seven seconds. So I think if they're able, if if Hertz is able to scramble, like you said, and 50 yards is, like, he's a guy that you wouldn't even be surprised to see get 80 yards. Right. 100 yards. But you add a couple big plays, and that's that's what I think Philly has to create. They have to create the big play. And then a lot of that, when we saw them play against against Washington in the second game, they really weren't able to get the big play. You know, that first game against Washington early in the season, it, the defense was good, 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 50-yard play. <laughs> yeah, well, it all so, happened in one quarter, too, that second quarter, and there were turnovers in that quarter, they, et cetera. But they had big plays the against Eagles them on Monday night. On offense. They had some big plays on Monday night and then fumbled at the end of those big plays, like that guy That's Quez Watkins. Absolutely, the one late. Yeah. Absolutely true. Late Quez Watkins did. But I, I think Philly's going to have to create big plays off script or have some big plays in that game. It, it's going to be a really fun game because they're both really fast. Both teams play fast football. I mean, especially San Francisco on defense, Philly on offense. That is going to be an exciting matchup. What about flipping also, it flipping it around? San Francisco on offense with Brock Purdy and Philly's fast, you know, defense because they are they they've got some pass rushers and playmakers. I think if San Francisco has the ability to mix it up in the run game and start getting you know four, five, six per carry into the second quarter, that they'll start taking over and being a physical team and then they'll start creating but in doing that, it's not just that zone run game with Christian McCaffrey. And I think you you're involving Debo Samuel on the edge with some fly sweep stuff, or you know you're involving Ayuk in some little ways. And I think San Francisco has has that ability to start physical, probably slower yards for play, but to build into taking over as an offense. If they are able to build into starting to take over and get into rhythm into the second quarter where that game plan starts to execute the way Kyle draws it up, then they're going to be really, really tough to stop. But it also has a lot to do with Purdy. And the quarterback is <laughs> – I mean, I don't care if he's a Mr. Irrelevant, uh, fifth round, a third round, he's still a rookie. And this is, what, six games for him? Uh, it's more than that, isn't it? Seven? Okay, seven and or eight. Maybe it's maybe it's even better because he doesn't even know where he's at. It's like, his. Um, he started the final six regular season, two playoff games, eight. This will be his ninth game starting. Maybe maybe it's better, but if San Francisco can't build into something offensively and can't run the ball early, they will get after him with that pass rush. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, like, don't discredit that San Francisco has a pretty good offensive line. If they play that three three five, they if they play that college defense that you pointed out in that first game against Washington, and you're like, why didn't we run the ball more? If if Philly's in that and San Francisco runs the ball, it's for the Forty ers are going to win the game. If Elijah Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and all these guys are running the ball and they're getting, you know, unlike last week when they did not run the ball very effectively until those final two drives of the game. I mean, they were shut down until those final two drives of the game. Um, If they can run the ball on Philadelphia and Philadelphia doesn't, I mean, Philadelphia better have as their number one priority 
We've got to stop the run and make this rookie quarterback, even though he's played well, he's got to beat us. We can't get, you know, we can't get gouged by Mitchell and McCaffrey to the tune of five yards per carry. It's over that way. No, I'm, and I'm sure that whiteboard in the room where you go keys to the game. Okay. Stop the One, run. Stop the run. Yeah, because because there's, pretty there's under no doubt. But even at that though, yeah. I, I the craziest thing is is I, I don't see San Francisco running away with this game. Like, I, I would be surprised to see San Francisco really running away with this game and, t- and taking this game over. I, I think Philly will battle. By the way, what is the spread on this game? Um, what do you think it should be? I don't even know. Uh, it's two points one way or another. Philly's a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and they've been a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and it has not budged all week long. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite, um, and the public actually likes Philadelphia um, to a certain degree, not overwhelmingly. They overwhelmingly love Cincinnati. I think that um, I when you said you couldn't see San Francisco taking over the game, I actually can see anything happening in this game. I have no idea. I would say that about both games, really. I don't have a clue on either one of these games. I don't have a strong feeling anyway on either one of these two games. If you t- if if we if we're in here Sunday, Monday talking about Philadelphia in a big win or a close win, San Francisco big win or a close win, none of those results are going to surprise me. None of them. But I do think for whatever reason, and I picked Philadelphia this morning on the radio show, and I'm going to pick pick Philadelphia here. I like Philadelphia 34 to 24. I don't know why. I just think it's been their year. I think that Hertz will be a difference maker primarily as a runner and as an off-schedule quarterback. And it's going to be they're playing in Philly. That's a phenomenal home field advantage. Weather's not going to be an issue, but I just I'm not going to be surprised by any outcome, but I'm going to pick Philly. Yeah, I I'm going to pick San Francisco, and I'm going to pick San Francisco in a 27-24 game. Okay. A little bit, a little bit less scoring. Just, just one touchdown. San Francisco less. control. I, see, and I, I think San Francisco can control the game, but what I think is even they have to control the game to win. But even in San Francisco controlling the game, I think it's super tight. I do think one thing is for sure. If Philadelphia were to jump out on the 49ers by two scores or three scores like they did on the Giants, I don't I would not trust that the 49ers even with all of their weapons that Brock Purdy can bring them back. Because because they can't get out of their game plan. And, you, you can't take you can't right. like, like it, it could happen. Like let's not pretend it can't happen that Purdy could just somehow get hot. I mean anything could happen. But I need to get out of their game plan, and, and then they get down 17 points or 14 points into the second half, and you start having to throw the ball, and the Eagles start finding ways to get pressure after the quarterback and, and get to Purdy. And No, I think, I think it's a problem. I think it becomes a problem. All right, you got the 49ers 27-24. I've got the Eagles 34-24. to um, I'll finish up the show with the smell test. I'm not. I'm. I don't think I'm going to bet this game. And if I do bet this game, I'm going to bet over the total, um, because I, I think a lot of people think this could be a lower scoring game with the two defenses. The totals at forty six and a half, forty seven at my bookie. Um, 
Uh, that That's the one thing I think I would wager on in this game is over the total. All right, the AFC Championship game. I guess for the purposes of this conversation, we just have to assume that Patrick Mahomes isn't uh, – it's, it's not just that he plays, but that he looks like Patrick Mahomes, that he's at least, you know, 85% of Patrick Mahomes, which, by the way, would be better than you know 95% of the quarterbacks in the NFL. So let's just assume that he's healthy enough so that Kansas City can be Kansas City. Um, tell, t- tell me your thoughts on this game. How does Kansas City win? How does Cincinnati win? Well, I think it's unfair to assume that he's going to be anything. I know. I'm not going to assume that he's going to be 85% okay, well then, of himself. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to assume that he's going to be 65% of himself. Okay, well then. What I would assume. Okay, then assume that. And and so the, the the reason I said assume one or the other is then we need two different previews. You want to preview what he is at 65%, and then we can preview what he is at 90%. But if you think he's going to be 65%, go ahead and give me your. We're taking, we're taking guesses on previews, anyways. You just threw out a score for the Eagles. Like you have no idea. I don't have any idea on this game either. But, why, but, why do we have to assume different? Well, because elements? because well, in previewing a game, you, in your in your prediction, in your prediction, in previewing the game, you're going to assume whatever health you want, and in mine, I'm going to do the same. <laughs> okay, go ahead and do it. Do it. You assume. <laughs> okay, so in your preview, Mahomes is 65. percent Go ahead. First of all, here's how. Cincinnati wins the game. They shut down any element of run from the Chiefs, and they can't because Cincinnati's playing really good defense right now. But they shut down Pachenko. They shut down McKinnon. They don't give up a ton of runs. And then, for God's sake, I, I love Kelsey. I do. I'm amazed by him. Please, please, somebody take him away. Like, every Chiefs game I watch, he's got, like, 22 targets and 14 receptions. And every time he gets a reception, it's a first down. And even at that, they're bracketing him. And, and the guys on the inside, in and out of him, looking, he's like, dude, I, I took away the inside. Why did you take away the outside? And the outside guy's like, I don't know. He tricked me. I thought he was going somewhere else. <laughs> like, so true. He's so slippery. So He fooled me. Like, my God. If you take away Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs can't win. That's what I think. You got to shut down some of the run, but if you and I think the Bengals can. But if you take down Travis Kelsey, which nobody can do, so I don't even know I'm saying it. He's so good. But if you stop Kelsey, they can't win, especially if Mahomes is banged up at the 65 percent that I want. If you don't give him those eight to 14 yard throws to Kelsey, where in the where is he going with the ball? Like Kelsey opens up every for everything for them, and it's week in and week out. It is literally every time I watch the Chiefs play. It's amazing. Like, uh, someone gonna someone gonna cover this dude, or are we, are you it's, saying it's like, really? Hey, uh, game plan is is if Kelsey only has fourteen receptions for one hundred and thirty eight yards, we got a chance to win. No, that's not the game plan. Um, <laughs> it's it's re- it's it's amazing to me when you watch the Chiefs like last week. Are you kidding me? The, he 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 found him again. I mean, the whole defense should have been covering this one player on third and nine, <laughs> and somehow he's open again. Now, a lot of times that's after you know the quarterback has extended the play, but still, I don't like, care. Yes, exactly. There should be three guys draped all over him, and I don't it's like. It's almost like Pop Warner. We got. 
we got we're coaching our sixth grade team. And we're there's like, one player. Hey, we're gonna glue. We're gonna be like glue to this kid. <laughs> Don't let Jimmy Kitwood shoot the ball. He can score. Do you know how many like, times cover him? Do you know how many times in basketball, like coaching a youth game, like there's one really good player on the other team, and all I would do. All I would do is every time he has the ball when he crosses half court, we're going to double him and make him give up the ball. And then if, you know, the other four players in a four-on-three situation beat us, that's fine. But there were lots – there. It, it, everybody knows that that's involved in youth sports, especially at super young ages. There are lots of games in which there's just one player on the other team. Now, obviously, Kansas City has more than just one. But it's amazing to me – how in the biggest spots, like when you're rooting for the opponent of Kansas City and you get them to a third and long, you're like, you, you still don't think you're going to get off the field ever because he's going to find Kelsey. <laughs> he found him 14 times last week. 14 catches this guy had last week. Well, how many How many did he have on the 99-yard drive where Mahomes went out? Like four. I know, and it, that's with it's Henny at quarterback. Just, it's not just those it's it's not just Kelsey and Mahomes that have this great relationship. What it is is Kelsey's great. He knows how to get open against any coverage and any different look. How does he keep getting open against any coverage? I don't know. I mean, it's not like he's been doing it, you know, for seven years. So he's just surprising people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. We didn't we didn't scout eighty seven. Who is that? That that the big boy. He seven. keeps catching all those seven. balls. He's spectacular. Who By the way, I, I have to ask you real quickly before you continue. One of my favorite players has become this Isaiah Pacheco, the running back, the seventh rounder out oh, of he's Rutgers. Great. He's, great. He's, he's incredible. Like, I think Kansas City, I'll just say it right now, I think they have to run the football against Cincinnati. I think, That's where I started. I know. I think, but 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 I don't I don't know if Andy Reid will do it. But I'll give you one game in which he did it. I was talking to Stephen about this this morning. They played Buffalo during the COVID season at Buffalo, and Buffalo played nickel the entire game. Actually, they were in dime a lot of the game. And Andy Reid ran it 46 times for 263 yards. Uh, Edwards Alaire had 161 yards in the game. And to me, that's the mindset that he has to have. Because he's because I don't think that they can cover Cincinnati on defense. But continue. <laughs> no, I, I I think they do have to come out and try to run the ball. And so where I think it gets tough is is guessing the percentage of Mahomes. Because if you're Cincinnati, you you almost have a couple different things that you want to implement. But to me, if if I come out and I see that Mahomes can't run and he can't move the way that Mahomes normally moves, then I'm still going to play a lot of cover one, but that spy guy that's always got to be there to make sure that Mahomes isn't making that play is literally the third guy covering Kelsey. Like, yeah, we're just going to triple Kelsey. And then we got to play over the top. But if you're playing, like, even at that, like the Bengals can play cover one or man-to-man coverage. And if you don't see Mahomes with that real ability to move and stuff, can he really push up his back foot and throw 50 yards down the field to beat you over the top? I, uh, like if I'm Cincinnati, I'm going to make them prove it. I'm going to start that way. I'm going to start aggressive, in-your-face, man-to-man defense. You won't get the ball to Kelsey. we got to stop the run. You won't get the ball to Kelsey. I dare you to go deep. Show us you can. I, I don't think you can run. So for the Chiefs, enough, I mean, for the Bengals, that's how I, I think I stop them. But for the Chiefs, they have to find ways to create. they got to get yards after the catch, 
Andy Reid's the best, Reid or Biennium or whoever is, is the best in the league at drying up screens and drying up plays to get the ball into space. So they're going to have to do it in that fashion. You know, they're they're going to have to get matchups with Smith Schuster that they like. They're going to have to get matchups with Tooney that they like. I don't see it being this just explosive throw after throw downfield. And again, it could happen, but I'm going to I'm going to force that if I'm Cincinnati. So I, I mean, that that's that's it. If, on the other side, you know, Cincinnati's been able to do. It, by the way, it's super funny. Cincinnati played like crap and almost lost to Baltimore, and then everyone in the world is on Buffalo. Then they play great against Buffalo. Now everyone in the world is on Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, it's the NFL. But I think this will be a different game for the Bengals. I think Spags will have a, a ton of plans to get pressure. It, it, it's just, can you cover Jamar Chase? Can you cover? Can you make sure that Higgins isn't sneaking over the middle for 13 on third and 12? But I think that they'll be able to put some pressure this week on Burrow. And I think they have to do that. I think they have to get Burrow. I think they have to get Burrow down. Uh, like a four or five sack type of game, but, you know, 12, 13, 14 quarterback hit type of game. But I, 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 I see that in Spags. I, I think the Chiefs defense will come up big this week. I, I, thought, they played, I thought they played well last week, actually, at times. Better than they have. Yeah, and I think it's it's building to that, that playoff type defense. The Chiefs can stop the run too. What's that? They have this dude in the middle that's like three hundred seventy five pounds. He's a monster. You can't move him. And you got Jones, Frank Clark's back. And the Chiefs are pretty good up front right now. I think they'll do a better job of stopping the run than the Bills did. And so I think they'll push Cincinnati into more more pass situations. And, and ultimately, to me, the game's won on can Kansas City cover. The receivers for the Bengals, hundred percent, with getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I mean, can you can you cover those dudes to make tight throws, contested throws, pass breakups, and not give Burrow you know three and a half seconds to really find open guys? Coverage has got to be good early in, in early situations. First three four seconds, make it hard on Burrow. That I, I think exclusively the game will be won on. Can you cover? Chase, Higgins, Hurst. I mean, you got Boyd, too, but like, can you cover their dudes? That's where they win or lose, the whole game. A hundred percent right. Like, I, I, if Burrow goes back, first of all, Chase, Higgins, Boyd is the best trio of receivers in the league, okay? And then they've got Hurst and they've got Mixon, and you have a, a, a Kansas City defense that apparently has been one of the worst in the league this year against 11 personnel. You know, one back, one tight end, three receivers. And we've already seen, like last week, every throw seemed to be chunk throw, everybody's wide open. And why is that? Because Burrow's really good and Chase Higgins and Boyd are exceptional. I mean, I think you could say right now that you could easily make the case that Chase is the best receiver in the NFL. Um, And so what, what you said as you were describing it, I'm sitting here going, my God, they have to get to him. If they don't get to him, they're not going to be able to cover them, which is why I said about Pacheco and, and McKinnon too, they almost offensively have to use their offense as their defense because I don't see Kansas City really slowing Cincinnati down. I don't see that happening personally. 
I think if Kansas City wins this game, it's because they rush the ball and they slow it down a little bit, or they just end up scoring and matching Cincinnati because, you know, Mahomes is Mahomes and he's not 65% Mahomes, he's 95% Mahomes. But they, but they, they're not – Cincinnati, when they're throwing the football, they're not coverable. These guys are ama- – like, here's the thing about Kansas City right now of the four teams left. They have the worst defense of the four teams. They have the worst group of skill position players of the four teams. And they've been turning the ball over this year more than any of the other four, uh, three teams in the, in the championship games. I mean, it's been a long time since we, we've said that about Kansas City. Like, this is the worst team that Mahomes has had around him. And it's why... They're also th- a one seed. They're, they're also a one <laughs> seed because... And that just shows how great Mahomes is. That, that's and, the greatness of Mahomes. So, they obviously can't win this game without Mahomes playing Mahomes-level football unless they're able to really run the football and and keep it away from Cincinnati. But the way you described they've got to get to Burrow, yeah. If that doesn't happen, forget it. Um, because Cincinnati's going to score 30. I think they will, though. I like Spags. I like, and I think they'll bring five and six-man pressures a lot of the game. And I think they will find ways to get to Burrow. All right, so your pick. So I think it's clear we're both going Kansas City in the under. We, we got it. We figured it out. Kansas City in the under. No. I like – so give me your final score. No, you're wrong. Give me your final score. <laughs> What's the under? <laughs> um, the, the total in this game is 48 right now. And Kansas City's a one-and-a-half right. point favorite right now. You haven't been following this this week. The line's been going back and forth based on every Mahomes report. At one point, Cincinnati was a two-point favorite. At one point, Kansas City was a two-point favorite. Kansas City's a one-and-a-half point favorite right now. All right, Kansas City's going to kick a walk-off field goal to win by two. It's going to be it's 24-22. Kansas City. I got two two scores at 24 this week. Somehow two scores. 24-22. Tight one. Walk-off field goal, Kansas City. Walker right. comes through. They've been worried about him all year. He was the best kicker in the league. Now he's going to be the hero of the AFC Championship. Butker. Um, I, uh, I only like Kansas City because everybody loves Cincinnati. Um, you'll hear that in my smell test pick coming up here in a second uh, or in a minute or two. But I'm going to pick the final score, and the only reason I'm picking this as the final score um, is because I want to describe how we get to it because we haven't talked about the overtime um, rules in the postseason now. I mentioned it, but I I haven't talked about it with you on the podcast. For those of you that don't know, the the NFL – Remember, after last year's incredible Buffalo-Kansas City playoff game, one of the greatest playoff games of all time, when Buffalo and Josh Allen didn't get a chance to touch the ball in overtime and they lost 42-36, to the NFL changed the overtime rules for the postseason. Now you are guaranteed to get a possession of the football. Even if the team that wins the toss goes down and scores a touchdown, you then will have a chance to receive the ensuing kickoff and get a, a chance at the football. So, I think the conversation's an interesting one because I think teams will play it like the college teams play it, which is you'll you'll prefer, in most cases, to start on defense. What are you doing there? What are you fooling around with? What's that noise? I'm in my my car. Okay. 
Um, so I think you'll start you'll you'll start on defense because you'll want to know when you get the ball on offense what you need. Do you need a touchdown to tie? Do you need a field goal to tie? Do you need a field goal to win? You'd much rather be in that position, just like in the college overtime rule, even though it's a 25-yard game at that point. You always start on defense. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. With We have not had an overtime yet uh, game yet with the new rules. So I am picking the Chiefs 36, Cincinnati 33 in overtime. The Chiefs give Cincinnati the ball. They go down and kick a field goal, and then Mahomes drives them, and they score a walk-off touchdown to win 36-33 after both kickers have great uh, uh, games during the uh, regulation portion of the game, kicking three field goals each. There you go. Who scores the winning touchdown? Um, Kelsey. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course, it's Kelsey. I mean, and by the way, he's like he's like wide open. He's like wide open on a third. Here it is. It's third and it's third and ten at the sixteen, and somehow he's wide open in the back of the end zone. They lose him. They lose him, <laughs> they lose him again. Yep. All right. Um, thank you. See ya. All right. Uh, good stuff from Cooley. I'll finish up with the smell test and as promised, a snippet from the Billy Packer uh, interview that I did. Uh, almost two years ago, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. The next to last smell test of the year. That's sad to say. God, the season flew by. Um, But this next to last smell test, the final one will be before Super Bowl Sunday in two weeks, uh, is presented by our favorite group, MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. And they're going to do something that most places don't do. They're going to double your first deposit all the way up to 1000 bucks. So your initial deposit, no matter what the amount is, will be doubled all the way up to 1000 bucks. All right? So 
If you put a thousand bucks in, you'll have two thousand in your account. There are a lot of places out there offering a lot of promotions. All right, you know, play a four-team parlay, and if one of the legs doesn't come in, we'll give you twenty-five dollars back. You know, of your bet. I mean, that's twenty-five dollars. My bookie is offering you up to a thousand dollars into your account upon your initial deposit. Um, if you deposit a thousand dollars, deposit a hundred, you'll have two hundred in your account. Uh, but they're doubling your first deposit. As I've mentioned many times, my bookie is a fair place to play, fair point spreads, fair prop bet numbers, fair money lines, fair totals, and fair pricing. You know, don't pay minus one thirty on a straight bet loss, or a minus one twenty-five, or a minus one twenty. If you're doing that, you're getting ripped off. All right, my bookie, it's a minus 110 on a straight bet. Occasionally, on a key number, you might be you might be laying minus 115. Um, my bookie's a good spot. By the way, I was thinking about something, because I forget if I said this earlier in today's show or yesterday's show, but I mentioned alternate point spreads, and I don't think I explained what that meant. But my bookie has plenty of alternate point spreads. What does that mean? Well, the spread on the game, let's take the Philly-San Francisco game. Philly's minus two and a half. All right. Philly at minus two and a half um, is a minus 110 bet. So you bet a hundred bucks, you win a hundred bucks if they win by three or more, uh, more than two and a half. If you lose that bet, you lose $110. But you can bet games with an alternate point spread. Let's let's just say you think Philadelphia is going to absolutely blow out San Francisco. You think they're going to win by more than two touchdowns. Well, you can bet Philadelphia minus 14 at plus 380. So a $100 bet would produce $380 in winnings if the Eagles won by more than 14, and you would lose only 100 if they won by less than 14. So that's what an alternate point spread is. You know, if you like the 49ers to win the game outright and you like them to win by a healthy margin, let's say by a touchdown, you can bet the 49ers laying seven at plus 260. So a $100 bet, if the 49ers won by more than seven, would produce a $260 winning scenario for you. And you'd lose 100 if they lost, if they won by less than seven or lost the game. Um, so many ways to bet these games, guys. They've got everything you need, every prop bet you need. Um, Kansas City's minus one and a half right now. Philadelphia's minus two and a half. Uh, the total in the NFC title game is 46 and a half. The total in the AFC title game is 48. Uh, the smell test is going to be really short this week. Um, I went two and one over the weekend, uh, the divisional round weekend, two and two wild card weekend. So I'm four and three in the postseason. Uh, two and one last week with Philadelphia. And the under in the Cincinnati-Buffalo game winning. And then I had Buffalo, which obviously lost. Um, but still 2-1, and 4-3 and three overall in the postseason. Up 15 uh, units overall for the season. So that's going to produce, no matter what happens this weekend or in the Super Bowl, um, a, uh, I think it will now be 12 out of 15 years. The smell test has won. Um, well, ha- has a winning record. Uh, anyway... The one one wager this week: Kansas City minus one and a half. That's that's the play. The public's 
all over Cincinnati. Every prognosticator on TV is on Cincinnati. Um, I know a lot is contingent on the health of Patrick Mahomes. I would just say to you, check out my Twitter on Sunday, you know, at Kevin Sheehan DC, because if Mahomes is ruled out and Cincinnati's a seven point favorite, I'm not, you know, the smell test pick of Kansas City minus one and a half, you know, is voided. So don't play the game quite yet. Um, and wait until these games kick off. I would check in with me on Twitter because if I have a change to that, like there's a major point spread change or there's a major injury update to to Mahomes, um, I could pull that um, prior to kickoff. Uh, But uh, Kansas City minus one and a half is the official play. Um, I do like the over in the San Francisco 49er game a little bit, over 46 and a half. Um, because I think there's a lot of action on the under in that game, but that's not the official play. Just one play, Chiefs minus one and a half. All right, I want to finish up the show with this. Uh, As I mentioned in the open, Billy Packer, a legendary uh, college basketball analyst, passed away last night at the age of 82 years old. He was always one of my favorites. Um, He really was kind of part of, for those of us that grew up around here and followed the ACC, whether you were a Maryland fan or a Virginia fan or a Duke fan or a Carolina fan, I mean, Billy Packer is part of your, um, you know, uh, of your college basketball life. Um, He and Jim Thacker called these games together in the ACC in the 70s, and then Packer blew up into a national celebrity calling games on NBC with the famous Al McGuire-Dick Enberg team, and then he went to CBS in 81 uh, and called many years with Brent Musburger before Jim Nance took over, and he called games with Nance forever. 27 years at CBS. Um, you know, calling Final Fours uh, before he retired in 2008. A legendary, you know, analyst uh, and really, really good and really way ahead of his time because Billy was constructively critical as a game analyst when no one else was doing that. You know, Cosell did that, but my recollection is Packer was one of the first to, and one of the reasons he became very controversial is he would, you know, call out a coach for a strategy or a timeout or, you know, in-game while calling the games. He would criticize coaches. He would, you know, say, why is he in the zone? I mean, they're getting killed from the outside. Get out of the zone. Play man-to-man. And and people weren't doing that back then. Now everybody pretty much does it. Um, but he was a pioneer as far as that was concerned. And that's who he was, too. He was a coach and a very good player. Um, but I had the chance... Uh, several times, when I say several, I think three or four times over the years to have Billy Packer on the shows that I hosted or co-hosted. But my very favorite interview with him was the one I did two years ago, almost two years ago. Um, It was before the Final Four in 2021. And I called him up and I said, "You, you know, do you have any time to come on my podcast? And he said, sure. And, you know, I think he was planning on something in the 15 to 20 minute range, as was I. And it was like an hour and 20 minutes later, we were still talking. Phenomenal storyteller, incredible memory. Um, and it was one of my favorite things that I've ever done. Like, I remember when I got done with that, I'm like, I love this. And I know that a lot of you who are college basketball fans loved it as well because I got so much feedback. Now, a lot of you that don't care about college basketball, don't even care about what I'm talking about right now. But 
phenomenal stories he told. So I'm actually going to put out that interview as a separate podcast over the weekend, probably tomorrow at some point. And so you can listen to that whole interview uh, as it ran nearly two years ago uh, in its entirety. But I'm going to end the show with this snippet from that interview. He and Al McGuire made up, along with Dick Enberg, one of the iconic you know, booths and college basketball isn't really a booth necessarily because they're sitting typically right on the floor. But it was very odd to have three people. Monday Night Football did it, you know, with Howard Cosell and Dandy Don Meredith and Frank Gifford. Um, But NBC tried Dick Enberg, Billy Packer, and Al McGuire together. And it became a legendary group in the 1970s up through the 1980 season before Billy Packer left to go to CBS as CBS got the NCAA tournament um, starting in 1982. Um, actually, the Georgetown-North Carolina final was the first NCAA tournament on CBS, and they had it for all of those years and still, you know, along with TNT and the you know, the, the relationship that they have um, with, uh, with TBS and TNT, they, they have the, the entire tournament. But um, I'm going to play this snippet of the interview. And again, I'll put out the whole thing tomorrow. But this was me asking kind of how the whole thing came together with Enberg and McGuire. Um, he talked a lot about initially how he got to do games at NBC um, with legendary a- announcer Kurt Gowdy. And then you'll eventually hear what I thought was a fascinating re- relationship tale between him and McGuire. Um, anyway, that's enough for today. I'll be back on Monday. But again, I'll put out that interview uh, as a separate podcast tomorrow. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the football. So back to McGuire. So how does McGuire become part of the group? Uh, well, what happens, uh, Al... Al, uh, this is a crazy story. I, I did not, not like him as a person. I, I did not like the way he coached in practice. Um, uh, I thought he was a total pain in the neck, okay? And so he, uh, in 1977, he, re- he resigns and retires midseason. His team is about, I guess they were about, uh, had a record of like 9-6 and six or something like that. And I'm doing a game in Cincinnati and, uh, with, against Mar- Marquette's playing Cincinnati, and they get, they get killed by Cincinnati. So that's, I think that makes them something like 9-8. and eight. And so I figured, you know, hey, he's had a great run. I don't like the guy. I don't like his attitude. And at least I should, you know, congratulate him on having a, a great run at, at, uh, at, at Marquette. So I, I go and, and – uh, to, to the, they're loading up on the bus, and I get on the bus, and he's sitting in the front seat, and I say, Coach, uh, you know, tremendous. He never even looks up, like tremendous career, and I want to wish you the best of luck. Never says a word to me, and uh, all of a sudden he looks up and says, We're leaving. I get off the bus, and I say, What a jerk this guy is. Okay, so it turns around, they go on a heck of a run, run right. and win the national championship. And uh, he never even goes to practice. Majerus and, and, and uh, Hank Raymonds are coaching the team, and I'm thinking, what a jerk this guy is. Well, sure enough, he wins the national championship uh, in, in, in great fashion. Uh, and that summer, 
uh, NBC calls and said, hey, you know, we've got a chance to get Al McGuire, and we're going to think about you three guys working together, uh, but we're not going to have Al. Uh, Al's going to do the halftime shows, and uh, he's going to be broadcasting from the locker room. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, whatever you guys want to do is fine with me. And I figured, well, you know, who knows what. So Dick and I, we're, we're happy to have Al come on board. And, and so the first game is in Milwaukee, and uh, they have him hooked up in the locker room. And so Dick and I broadcast the game, and Dick had a button that whenever he thought there might be something Al would like to say, he would put it and, and ask Al a question. Or if Al saw something in the game that he liked, Dick's light would come on and Al could say something because they didn't think three guys could potentially do a basketball game all on the court. So uh, the game went on and that never came on. So Dick at halftime said, uh, you know, we, we better go see if there's something wrong with the engineering. And Al had already got in there and the, the, man, the guy in the locker room said, oh, he left. He's not here for the second half, okay? <laughs> so the second game, uh, the same setup was there. So Dick said to me, Billy, uh, now Dick always says it was my, my thought. I say it was Dick's thought. Why don't we just have him come out and sit with us so he can, you know, be part of the, part of the game? And we did that. And it didn't work out so well because it was Dick, and then I was in the middle, and Al was on the other side of me. And Al wasn't put much in the game. So, again, I don't know who got, gets credit for this. But, uh, Dick said, you know, he's not really paying much attention. How about if we put him in the middle? That way I'll know what you're doing, and, and, and we, we know how to work together, and maybe we can get him into the game. And that's how, it, that's how that took place. So it was always Dick, then Al in the middle, and then me on the end. And as time went on, uh, it started to work pretty good. And although he never spent any time with Dick and myself, he'd show up for the game. When the game was over, he'd go, and we'd never see him. And we, we did the whole first year that way. And uh, I, I, I'm thinking he's a worse guy than I, than I thought he was. And it was Easter Sunday. It's kind of funny. That's a long time ago. I went to church down, in, it was the Final Fours in St. Louis, and I went to church for Easter Sunday, and they have a little chapel down underneath the arch. And there was, it was all crowded and packed, and there were people down there, and there were, you know, there were some homeless people down there, and it was, it was quite a scene. And so I go into Mass, and uh, when it came time to go up for communion, I go up and I notice this guy with old beat-up clothes on is sitting on the first row, and I look, and it's Al. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what in the world's the matter with him? And so we, when the church ended, I go out, and he's waiting for me. And he says, in his first time, I, we ever had like a personal talk, and he said, you want to go to lunch? And I said, yeah, sure. So we start working, walking down on the piers there, and he, he hollered to some guys on a boat. And he said, I got to come on. I'm from the city food inspector. And I'm thinking, what in the hell is he talking about? So we get on the boat. And he pretends he's there inspecting sanitation on the way that they're. He says, where's the kitchen? So we go down and he has to make us lunch. <laughs> we eat lunch. And uh, I'm thinking, this guy is a screwball. And uh, we get off the boat. He says, that was a good way to get a cheap lunch, wasn't it? And from that point on, he became uh 
uh, the greatest adult friend that I've had. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.